But we're going to read Psalm 77 this morning. And I'm reading from the NIV. I cried out to the Lord for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out on tiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. And I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated on my spirit, inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promises failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The ears of the right hand of the Most High. I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now it said of Psalm 77 that it has proven to be a tremendous source of strength and encouragement to distressed and even depressed believers. But on reading these first nine verses, if you look over them again sometime, you will be forgiven for questioning that assertion. Not much in the way of encouragement here, rather the opposite, in fact. Because the reader is immediately hit, immediately flattened by the misery, the distress, and the depression of, of the psalmist. Verses 1 to 9 are far from uplifting. For they paint a very bleak picture of the psalmist's state of mind. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of a filmmaker called Ken Burns. He specializes in documentaries on the history and culture of America, covering such subjects as the American Civil War and the Roosevelt's. But he produced a, a, a series on the Great Depression of the 1930s called The Dust Bowl, which chronicled, the, among other things, the experience of farmers in the mid, in midwestern states such as Kansas and Oklahoma states in which farmers had been encouraged to clear their land of trees and foliage so as to maximize their wheat yields. Initially they were extremely successful but then came the perfect storm of economic collapse on Wall Street and drought in the midwest 
We, in the Midwest, we prices fell, could hardly give them away. A once fertile land turned to dust. Dust that was whipped up by winds because there was no trees or foliage to stop these winds. They whipped up great enormous dust clouds. Dust clouds that turned the sky black at at night in the middle of the day. Storms stripped the lands and stripped the farmers and their families of their hopes, their aspirations and their homes. Burns captured all of this showing footage of the impact this had upon the people in a series of stark black and white stills, photograph after photograph, captured the desperation, the distress, the, the sadness these people were feeling. You could see the pain etched on their faces and in their eyes as they ensure reflected on, on, on the circumstances, the, the dramatic change in their circumstances, the drastic change in their circumstances. From landowners to homeless in a few short years. You know, I, I thought of these people as I read S.S. Lament here. For here was a desperately unhappy man, unable to sleep, unable even to talk. He was closed in on himself. A man looking back to former times, first five, you read of better times to a time he, he could sing in the night. And that means not only joyful times, but times even when tough times came and dark times came, he was well able to cope with them. But not now. Now, though, he is continually crying out to God, as we see in verse 1, I cried out to the Lord, I cried out to the Lord to help. Such is his anguish, as we see in verse 2, such is the anguish that gripped his soul that he cannot see an end to it or a way out of it. And to combine his misery further, he feels that God, the God he is crying to, is not hearing him. It's not helping him. And it seems that he doesn't seem to care for him. Verses 7 through 9, as, 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 he, as he pours out his heart, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Like even you think of, of his mental state, has God's unfailing love failed? The enormous dust storm of his depression was blocking out the light of the Lord. Friends, it's, it's not revealed in this psalm, and we never know exactly what it was that brought this man down. So low, and it's foolish indeed to speculate, but, it's, but it is vital and it's important to note that there is no mention of sin on his behalf or no mention of a need for repentance on his part. Which is why I'm convinced that for a variety of different reasons and through no fault of their own, many of God's people have or will experience exactly what this man experienced in verses 3, 1 and 9. So how does this psalm help such people in their stress? Well, how, firstly, we note that it, it doesn't leave them in verse 9. 
feeling abandoned to life's adverse circumstances, whether those circumstances be external things that are happening to them or internal things that are happening inside them. First 10 of Psalm 77 begins the recovery when the psalmist turns his thoughts onto God and who God is. From first 10 onward, Asaph stops talking to God about himself and starts talking to himself about God. Through verses 1 through 9, the psalmist's focus has been on himself and his troubles, which is understandable. It's quite understandable. When things close in you and you're like that, that's, that's as much as you can see what's happening to you and how can I get out of this. But in the first six verses of this psalm, there are 18 occurrences of the first person singular, I and me, and only six references to God. See, the psalmist is preoccupied with himself, but from verse 10 onward, his focus shifts off himself and onto God. For in the last eight verses of this psalm, there are 21 references to God and none to himself. So what brought about the change? Well, he stopped listening to himself and starts to battle with himself. Listen to him in verse, verses 10 through 12. To this I will appeal to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Listen to him. I will appeal. I will remember. Yes, I will remember. Yes, I will meditate. What's he doing here? He's taking control of his emotions, his thoughts. His mind. It's important to note this because remember Paul in Second Corinthians ten, and he's talking about spiritual warfare, uh, uh, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty unto God. And where he says he takes every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So then, having set his mind to remember, what does he remind himself of? Well, verse 10, he says, this I will feel the years of the right hand of the Most High. He reminds himself of, of the power of God, of the majesty of God, and the sovereignty of God. He's God the Most High. He reminds himself of who God is. And in verses 11 and 14, he reminds himself of the miracles of God. He remembers what God has done, the mighty works of God. I remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles from long ago. Verse 14. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power on the people. Verse 12. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. And in verse 13 he says, He meditates on the holiness and the greatness of God. Your ways of God are holy. What God is so great as our God. That goes of Isaiah 6 there, where Isaiah went into the sanctuary. And he saw the Lord, and he heard the 
the cherubim crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then in verse 15, he remembers the salvation of the Lord. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people. He's one of those people. Friends, Paul, the Apostle Paul exhorted the Colossian believers to set their minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth for a very good, very good reason. For such meditation upon God is absolutely vital, not only for the spiritual health and well-being of the believer, but also for the mental health. And well-being of the believer. You remember Joshua and Joshua chapter one, where Joshua is just taken over from Moses. Moses has died, and he's to lead the people into the promised land, and he is discouraged because God comes to him to encourage him, and God speaks to him and says, "Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. I am with you. Only do this: the book of the law shall not part from your book." Apart from your mouth, you shall meditate upon it day and night. If you look at that chapter, be sure to underline verse 8, because it says, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it on it day and night, that you may be able to do everything written in it. Your mouth, you think, depart from your hand, or, or, or sure, but to be speaking it. You know, I was not brought up as a Christian. Um, I have many regrets about that, not least when I see and hear uh, younger people, children and young people, with memory verse after memory verse after memory verse. The Word of God has been planted into their minds and hearts from an early age. And God is saying here, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Speak to yourself. About God, His greatness, who He is and what He has done. Just as Asaph was doing here now. As we come to the second part of this, it's the close of the song, nearly the close of our time in it. I hope you notice that the, the psalmist's reflection on the person of God and the works of God that Asaph devotes the lion's share of his meditation to the salvation of God. Verses 15 through 20 are taken up with the salvation. The salvation God wrought for his people at the Red Sea. This is a, he's reminding himself of the Exodus. The time that people were brought out of Egypt and brought to the Red Sea where God's mighty hand paved the way for them to go forward. But I want you to pay particular attention to Asaph's recollection of the leading, the leading of God in verse 19. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Now for Asaph, looking back to this miraculous event, God's footprints are clear. 
You and I, looking back, we can see this. We can see God's footprints. We can see God leading. And Asaph can see clearly that God made the way. God made the pathway through the sea. But he also knows that the people of Israel didn't see this. They didn't see a way out of their dilemma that they were in. All they saw was this insurmountable barrier in front of them and a murderous Egyptian army behind them. And that's why they panicked and cried out to Moses as anxiety and fear overwhelmed them. Was there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to this wilderness that we may die? Now, Asaph could see that, these people should have seen, but Asaph could see that the, the pillar of cloud, as you, as you look back, as you read this account, you can see the pillar of cloud, you can see the pillar of fire at night, and Asaph could see this, he knew God was going to lead the people through the sea. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. But he also knew, Asaph also knew that the people had lost sight of God. Because they were focusing in on themselves and the dark situation they were in. I wonder, does that sound familiar? I'm sure it did to Asaph, because that's what he'd been doing. And I'm sure he'd have learned a valuable lesson as he recounted these events. Not least, that his Saviour God, his holy, righteous, faithful, merciful, almighty, all-powerful God, can be trusted even when he cannot see the way out, he cannot see the way ahead, nor can he see the way through the situations he's, he's facing and the pressures of life as they are tightening their grip on him. He begins to see that he can trust God, this almighty God that is his God. By the end of the psalm, he has come to a settled state of mind to rest in God. He's come to accept and embrace the prophet Isaiah's instruction, counsel. In Isaiah 50, verse 10, where he says, Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. When you just can't see an end to whatever you're going through, you just can't see an end, you can't see a way out of it, a way through it. Isaiah said, even in the midst of those dark times, when you have no wee word from the Lord, we say, this is the way I walk you in it. And you don't seem to hear from God, uh, to trust and rely on Him, because this is who God is, as you've reflected on Him. And you've spent time in His presence, and reflect on the person of God, on the works of God, on the love of God, and the care of God. But how can we be sure that Asaph is a more settled person now? Look again at verse 20, where he says, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
He's the same God as a shepherd, leading, guiding, providing for and protecting his flock. That's what shepherds do. And he sees that the Lord is his shepherd. And as David said, though he, Asaph, may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will fear no evil because his shepherd is with him. And that brings comfort, comfort to his heart. I wonder, can you see this, friends, as we have went through this? Can you see this? Can you, can you relate to this? Can you understand this? For, for we have to learn lessons from Psalm. You and I, we have to learn lessons from Psalm 76. And what are, what are those lessons? I believe that the main lesson is here that we, we should remind ourselves, just as Isaiah said, I will remember, I will remember, I will meditate. To remind ourselves that that ace is God. Is our God. It's the same God. The God who shepherded his people in the wilderness in verse 20 is, is, is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. Same God. The God who came to his people of old with words of encouragement was such as, Fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you pass through the fire, walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt. Not, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's the same God who, who calms his people's fears. Well, when he spoke to them at Luke 12, when Jesus spoke to his God, talked about anxiety and worry and stress, he said, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the same God, the same Jesus, who, who spoke, on, spoke on to John in Revelation 1, where he said, Fear not. For I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death. And here is the sovereign God. The most high God. I am the first and I am the last. And I have the control of all things. Fear not. And we should remind ourselves. Uh, the God who is the uh, God who, who is the uh, uh, Almighty and the Most High God of First Ten of, of Psalm seventy-seven is the same God who took the lowly place of a servant in Philippians two and was born in the likeness of man. We should remind ourselves of that. This Most High God came down and took upon Himself. Uh, the nature of man became a man and dwelt amongst us. And finally, we should remember that the God who led his people to this seemingly impossible barrier of the Red Sea is the same God who leads his people to Calvary's cross. The cross where Jesus' enemies 
thought they had trapped him. Thought they had defeated him. The cross where even his friends thought he was finished. But just as God parted the waters of the Red Sea, Jesus parted the seemingly impossible waters of death and judge, of sin and death and judgment when he delivered, uh, when he was delivered over to death on Calvary's cross for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Jesus parted those waters. That, that barrier that would have kept us with the death and judgment that was ours, that was due to us. We pass through and they, can't, they do not touch us. Just as the waters were held back from the people of Israel. Death and judgment have nothing on us. Because Jesus has dealt with our sin. Friends, this, this is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. And we can see, he traced his footsteps, traced his footprints through the, through the Gospels, traced them. From the very beginning, you trace them. And where do they lead to? Where does his footsteps lead to? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they lead to the cross. That impossible barrier. But if you have trusted him, and he is your God, he has brought you through, he has led you through like a shepherd. And if such a God is for us, who or what indeed could be against us? For in all things, as Paul writes in Romans 10, for in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, in a, in a moment, Colin is going to put up a which I, I think is a marvelous hymn. Well, he will hold me fast, uh, just as we come to the table. And uh, we come to remember the Lord in his own point of way. And we come and we think, uh, even about seeing a, a Calvary, or a, we think as we've been thinking about the dark clouds, the dust storms that envelop the people and, and, and the states and, and the, the dust storms of, of this man's depression, how they just envelop. Well, at the cross, in the middle of the day, everything turned black as night. As the wrath of God whipped up our sins and, and, and just deposited them upon his son. And you see, the light of God was blocked out from our faith. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what our Savior has done for us. Now in the middle verse of, of this hymn that we're going to sing, we read this here. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. 
He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Amen. May the Lord bless his reading on this exposition of his word to our hearts as we